So I do just want to make one, uh, just take a moment and talk about uh, life groups just for a minute, small groups. When you gather together in a, in a place like this to worship, uh, you may get to know faces, but you, and you may get to know a few names, but you don't really get to know each other. And for some of us, uh, we're more extroverted, and we're, we, we do that. It's kind of like what we do. For others who are more introverted, uh, we tend to say, you know, if somebody comes up and says hi to me, I'll say hi to them, right? And so the, the step of taking a, to, to go into a smaller group of people that I don't know and, uh, is a risk, and it's a challenge. And he, but here's the thing. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, the, the way that God uses, he created us for community. And the way that we grow in our faith is by being with other Christians. Because they can encourage us. They can uh, correct us if need be. They, and the idea is if you, if, you're in, if you get in the right life group and you'll, be, you'll get some friends that will be, be living, doing life with you. And when something is going on in your life or something is going on in their life, you'll be one of the first people to know about it. I mean, there have been times where I've gone to visit somebody in the hospital and uh, I say, or I miss somebody who's in the hospital, and I'll say to them, hey, I didn't know you were in the hospital. If I had known, I would have come and visited you. And it's part of me, it bothers me, but part of me is, is really encouraged because they'll say, that's okay, my small group, they came and they visited me. You didn't need to do it. They were there. And and that's good because I'm just the guy up front that preaches and teaches and not necess- they don't know me, but they know the people in their small group and they've done life together. And that's really what we want. So every, you know, couple of times a year we want to have those on ramps where we could say if you want to go a little deeper, if you want to take a risk and try to plug into a a, a life group, we want to help you. And so this is one of those weekends that you know, just say, hey, yeah, I think I want to give it a try. And I want to throw on there, too, that don't, ex- you know, don't put the weight on it to say, well, I'll try it once. And if it doesn't work, that's it. I'm done. Uh, don't do that, because it may be that y- it'll take one or two or three times before you find a group that you fit. You know, y- y- they fit, right? Y- you put those shoes on and they fit. You-, you say, this feels right. I mean, you don't go to a store generally and Try a pair of shoes on and you go, oh, yeah, right, first one, got everything. No, a lot of times you're trying two or three on and you go, oh, that fits. And it's similar when you're trying to, you know, when you get into a life group. So I just want to encourage you that you really can't grow and become all that God wants you to be in isolation. It would be nice if you could just read a book, go to a seminar, you know, watch videos on YouTube or whatever and, and learn and read your Bible and pray and do everything like that. And, and but here's the thing. There's so many things you can't do unless you're part of a, a life group. You can't love, love each other, really. You can't pray for each other. You can't bear one another's burdens. Uh, you know, you can't forgive each other's sins. You know, you can't confess your sins to one another. Hey, I blew it. I failed uh, to a group of people you trust and that you love and they love you. Um, that's going a little deeper in life. And here's the thing that I notice in our society. Maybe you notice it too. Um, we are more connected than we've ever been. I can send a text and it can go to the other side of the world within seconds. But I feel like we're more separated socially and emotionally than ever before. 
We don't talk to one another. We don't sit down and eyeball to eyeball and hear another person's heart. And I think we need that. I think our souls need that. So all I'm saying is this is an opportunity for you. We'll help you. We'll try to do whatever we can. But getting plugged into a life group may be one of the biggest and the best things you'll ever do in your life as far as growing as a follower of Jesus Christ. So I challenge you to do it. We can't take those steps for you, but if you take those steps, we'll try to walk with you through that process. All right. So we're going through heroes of the faith. And we're talking about, and and they're really laid out in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, we have all these different people. And, you know, the first the, the thing that I've noticed, maybe you have too as we've gone through this so far, is they're not necessarily people I would put in that chapter. Now, the, the person we're going to talk about this weekend and for the next couple weekends, yeah, I'd put him there. <laughs> he'd, be in, he'd be one of the first ones that I would put. Abraham I'd put in, and he will talk about him. But Noah. Noah's a guy that, yeah, I'd put Noah... By the way, if you've watched the film, it's it's wrong. <laughs> Maybe that's the best thing I could say. But but that being said, um, Noah is in the chapter and deserves to be in the chapter. So we want to take a few weeks and we just want to look at Noah. Now, the interesting thing is most of us know the story of Noah. We heard it in Sunday school. We we read a book about it, you know, as a, as a kid. Somebody read a book to us about him. And what the story goes this, that, that God says it's going to rain and you need to build this big boat that we call an ark and you, you need to usher the animals in two by two and then it started to rain and, and you, you, the animals are, you see them kind of, they're kind of like in single file and they're walking two by two up the ramp into the one door of the ark, right? And then the water comes and the boat's floating on the water. And, and then, uh, you know, 40 days later, Noah sends out, <coughs> sends out a, a, a bird, uh, a dove, and uh, he does it a couple times. And finally, the dove comes back with an olive leaf, right? And then we see... Noah and the animals just kind of going off off the ark, and they lived happily ever after. Right? That's the story we've heard about Noah, right? Now, the interesting thing is, we've just recently had hurricanes hit Texas, Florida, and south southern part of the United States. Done absolute destruction. I mean, just, they say the... the Key West, I forget how many property, they said 50% or more of the prop houses just totaled. I mean, it's just, you're going down there and you go, it's just, it's just amazing, the damage in Texas. I mean, it's going to take years to, to dig, dig out and to, to get back on Houston and the rest of those. These hurricanes, you know, I mean, they're just, just, just massive destruction. It's amazing there wasn't more loss of life in all of this. But here's one thing I do know. Here's one thing I do know. These people, whether it's in Houston in the, in the Texas area or whether it's in southern Florida and Key West, when they go in and they rebuild, if they're a younger couple and they have children, they're not going to take the nursery and put tornado signs up on the walls, you know, little decorated in a tornado theme. 
they're not going to do that. Right? They're, they're going to, that'd be the last thing that they would want to do. And yet, what we, the point is, what I'm saying is, we decorate church nurseries and we decorate children's nurseries with Noah and the ark. Right? It's this beautiful story. No, it's not. It is not. It's like, it would be like a parent coming and decorating their nursery, you know, a year after the destruction of the house. They get it all fixed up and they bring a little little child home and they have these tornadoes all over it. You go, what's wrong with you? Essentially what I'm saying is, We've taken the story of Noah and the flood and we've watered it down. We've made it palatable. We've, we've taken out the one thing that we should get from this is there was massive worldwide destruction, judgment from God. And Noah was in the middle of it. Um, you know, there was a lot of animals. And a lot of people were absolutely destroyed during the flood. And so we want to look at Noah and we're going to want to say, who was he? What can we learn from him? And what can we learn about faith? Because he is in Hebrews 11 because he was a man of faith. So let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. This is on page 926. If you don't have a Bible... There is a chair Bible, and we're going to just read one verse, and it's kind of an interesting verse, and uh, let me read it to you. Uh, Hebrews eleven seven nine twenty six page 926. It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about the things that had never happened before. He didn't have radar. He didn't have, like... A history of this is going to be a bad flood. There wasn't one. This is like new, right? New territory. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world and he received the righteousness that comes by faith. So we said in this series that what we're doing is we're using Hebrews 11 to kind of be a jump off point springboard to the Old Testament. So we want to jump to the Old Testament and we want to look at Hebrew, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 6, uh, instant, inter, interestingly enough, on page 6, uh, verse 11, I want to read just a, a portion of the, the uh, flood story and the Noah story. Genesis chapter 6, verse 11, page 6. God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. God observed all this corruption in the world, for everyone on the earth, on the earth was corrupt. Now, if you read the first ten verses, really the first five or six, you'll see there's some weird, bad stuff going on. We do not. It's one of the mysteries of the Old Testament, too. Well, who did they marry and who's marrying who? We're not going to get in there, but you can read about it later. So God said to Noah, I have decided to destroy all living creatures, for they have filled the earth with violence. Yes, I will wipe them all uh, out along with the earth. Build a large boat from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks <coughs> and stalls throughout the interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. 
leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around the boat. Put the door on, uh, put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Let me read that one more time just so we can, you can hear that. Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on the earth will die, but I will confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife, and your sons and your wives. Bring a pair of every kind of animal, a male and a female, into the boat with you to keep them alive during the flood. Pairs of every kind of bird and every kind of animal, every kind of small animal that scurries along the ground, will come to you and be kept alive. And be sure to take on the boat enough food for your family and for all the animals. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. So what do we learn from our text about Noah? What do we learn so far about Noah from Hebrews and from Genesis? The first thing is that Noah was the most righteous man on the earth. It says that in the passage. It says it twice. The same phrase is used twice in this chapter and the next chapter. So Noah was a righteous person, the most righteous person. It's similar to what was said about Job in Job chapter 1 and Job Job chapter 2. When when God says to Satan, he says, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on the earth like him. So we have a similar comparison. Now, it's not saving, saying uh, it's not saying that Noah is perfect, that Noah is without uh, sin. It's not saying that Noah is uh, it's what it's doing. It's comparing Noah to the rest of humanity and compared to the rest of humanity. He's like miles ahead. I mean, he's he's very good. And so he's not perfect, but he is righteous in comparison to the rest of the known world at that time. Um, notice it says in verse 5, the Lord observed, and this is Genesis 6, 5, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and how he saw, and he saw everything they, they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Talk about morally corrupt. Talk about just a, a dumpster fire as far as everything. It's just going bad. And then verse 8, it says, but Noah found favor with the Lord. Verse 9 says, Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless uh, person living on the earth at the time, and he walked close in close fellowship with God. This is the same phrase, similar phrase that was said of Enoch. We talked about him last weekend. Uh, Enoch walked with God and was no more. Here's what I want you to see. If you live a righteous life, you will stand out from the crowd. And sometimes you will become a thorn. You will. It, it just it just will happen. Let me ask you a question. When you try to live a life for Jesus and you try to live a righteous life, and again, we're, let's throw out this idea of perfection. Let's throw out this idea that we never sin and that we never fail. That's not what we're talking about. But you're essentially, your trajectory is going to live a life that's pleasing to God. So you're going to live a morally pleasing life to God. You're going to try to be obedient to what the Word of God says to you. You're going to try to respond to that. You're going to try to say, I want to follow God. I want to follow uh, his word. I want to be obedient to his word. The minute that you, you begin to live your life that way, 
you will stand out from the people around you. And they are generally decent, good people. But some of them, it may be your family members, it may be the people you work with, it may be just uh, your friends. There's, there's something that they will say, it will be something along the lines of, you really think you're better than me, don't you? You really think that you're, you've got it all, and you may have said nothing to them. You have, you've done nothing. But there's something about you that is convicting them. Um, they may, maybe, maybe just simply chide you, or, you know, make fun of you or tease you. Or they may even get set, upset with you, but you've done nothing. And you, you kind of go, where did that come from? It comes from living a godly life in an ungodly world. Now, now here's where I have to put the disclaimer. There are some Christians that act like idiots, okay? And uh, they deserve to be called out by non-Christians. They are arrogant, they are proud, and when I hear and see them sometimes, I absolutely cringe there are times where people, and I kind of know that they're going to drop the C word, the Christian word, and I say, please don't say it, please don't say it, please don't say it. Because their behavior and their words all, they're just not in line with the gospel and not in line with the, with the word of God. And they'll say, and I'm a Christian, and I cringe, and I say, oh Lord, please. And I think there are times that Jesus just cringes when he sees some of the words and some of the things that are done in his name. And he goes, I had nothing to do with this. <laughs> think about that. I mean, as a person, when somebody, you get blamed for somebody else's actions, you kind of go, that wasn't me. Don't say that that's me because that's not me. And yet, unfortunately, there, there are some people out there, and I think they are Christians, and I think that they're misled, and they're arrogant, and they're judgmental, and they're, they're hypocritical. And, but, but, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about just trying to live the Christian life. You're not out there you know, slamming your Bible in their face. You're not quoting Scripture after everything that you say. You're not, you're not calling them out in their immoral behavior or whatever. You just, you're just trying to live the Christian life, and they make fun of you. It's, you know, they, they, they make those little comments, and, they, and they, then sometimes it'll even rise to the level of they'll, they'll, they'll say, you think you're better than me, you know, stuff like that. The point is, I'm thinking that Noah, as he's building this boat, kind of stood out from his community. I mean, come on. What's he doing here? He's building one of these these um big ships. Think of the these uh cruise ships, right? In the you know, in a place like it would be like the middle of the Sahara Desert. Okay? And you go, "Well, that doesn't seem like a right really good idea." I mean, I'm sure he had, there were all sorts of Noah jokes, right? But um, he, the, the point I want you to see is if you're going to live, and you should be, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're living, look at what they did with Jesus and his disciples. 
So if you're going to live a life that, that, that is honoring to Christ, just understand that that's going to be prickly to people around you. You, you don't have to necessarily call people out with your words. Your, your life, your behavior will, will do it. But uh, just be ready for that. Secondly, Noah was obedient to the word of God. So God gives Noah specific instructions. He tells him exactly how to, well, I mean, he doesn't give him a blueprint, but he tells them, this is how big the boat's going to be, this is how tall, this is how wide, this is how long, and, you know, leave a gap, and, you know, you're going to have these decks, you're going to have one door, and uh, button the thing up, you're going to need to button it up, and bring these animals, and bring enough food. I mean, he's giving them all these, all these directions And then he says, and the reason you need to do this is because I'm going to destroy all of humanity. I mean, everyone's going to die except you and your family, your three sons, their wives, your wife. That's it. All the the, uh, animals are going to die. And you notice in the text, Noah doesn't ask any questions. He doesn't say, why? Is this, is this, can't there be another way? Are, are you kidding me? What's an ark? <laughs> you know, what's rain? <laughs> uh, I mean, there, all these questions. If it was you or me, I would go, wait a minute. Let me get this straight. I mean, remember Moses at the burning bush? Moses had a few questions. God says, go down to Egypt, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. That's a pretty simple message. I mean, he knew a lot about Egypt because he grew up in Egypt. He knew the Pharaoh. Um, so, so this isn't strange for Moses, right? He knows the Egyptians. He knows the area. And when God says your people, and he knew, his, he knew that God's people, the people of Israel, were slaves down there. He knew all that stuff. And he says very clearly, go down to Egypt and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses says, time out. <laughs> and then he says, I'm not the man, don't send me. And he's pushing back with God, right? There's this dialogue going on. You come to Noah, and it's like nothing. You read through the Noah story? He doesn't utter a word. You'll not find a quote from Noah. Not one word. We'll talk more about that in a minute. What does it say, though? It says that he just obeyed. In verse 22, in chapter 7, verse 5, it says, in 6.22 and 7.5, it says, Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Here's, here's one of the lessons we're going to learn about faith. Faith is obeying God's word even when you don't agree and it makes no sense. I mean, it's easy to believe God when it makes sense and you see, you know, this could be a really good thing. This is not making sense and it doesn't look like a good thing. So can you have faith at that point? But it says in verse 11 of Hebrews, or verse 7 of Hebrews 11, he obeyed God who warned him about the things that had never happened before. That phrase gets me. It never happened before. This is new ground. This is totally new ground. 
And you would have said, you would have thought, if there was ever a time to ask questions, to push back, to say, really, is this what we're going to do? And none of that. You don't see any of that. This was a first. As far as we know, it had never rained. God tells Noah to build a giant boat hundreds of miles from the nearest water water body, then to fill the boat with animals and provisions for a huge torrent of rain. Like I said, it's like building a cruise ship in the middle of the Sahara Desert. The other thing that's interesting is when the rain came down, we'll talk more about this next weekend, the flood caught everyone by surprise. No, it shouldn't have. Because there's this guy building this huge boat. They should have said, well, what if this does happen? Right? But what if it does, right? And, and, but this is what it says in Matthew chapter, you don't have to turn there, Matt 24, 38. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered the boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. And then he says this. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Can I suggest to you this weekend that people are living their lives. They're going to weddings. They're going to banquets. They're going to parties. And they have no thought at all that judgment is coming. In fact, when you start talking about judgment, they would say, don't be a Debbie Downer. Don't, don't be so negative. Why do you have to be so, you know, so tense about things and so caught up in all these things? Let, just let it go. Don't worry about it. Let me ask you a question. What is it in your life right now that God is calling you out about? And what I mean by that is, the thing that's interesting here is that God says to Noah, I'm going to do this, now you do this. And Noah does it, right? He just does it. We don't have any dialogue, we don't have any debate, we just have obedience is what we have. And faith is is built on obedience to God. We talked about that already. But I'm asking you a question. What is it that God's been calling you out on? He's been saying to you, I want you to do this. Or he's saying, I want you to stop doing this. I want you to stop. We're not talking about things that you're confused about, okay? It's not some peripheral thing over here that you don't really understand. You don't have enough information to make a decision We're talking about something that's absolutely clear. You absolutely know God wants you to either start doing something or stop doing something. You know about it, and you have been saying no to God. You've been saying no to God. Would you consider stopping that behavior this weekend and repenting and saying, God, like Noah, I want to be a person of faith. And I will trust you. I will stop doing whatever I'm doing. And I'll put some, some things in my life that will keep me from that. And by the way, sometimes it needs to be a person that you put in your life for accountability. It may be that God is asking you to start doing something. You say, but I don't know how it's all going to play out. That's right. Do you think Noah did? Do you think Moses did? <laughs> no. <laughs> he didn't. They didn't. 
Here's the third thing. Noah was not the main character of the flood. This is what struck me as I was going through the story. I just said, you know what? As I read through this story, the thing that bugs me about it, it doesn't bug me in a bad way, but it just kind of, I just, there was something about the story that just felt like, and I realized that Noah's a, Noah in this story is a cardboard cutout. He's, we, what do I mean by that? We don't know what he was thinking. We know what Moses was thinking. We know what Abraham was thinking when he was offering his son. We have no idea what he was thinking. We have no idea at all what his attitude was. We, we don't know anything about that. Um, Noah is silent throughout the whole flood account. Not a word. He has no response for God's amazing request. Moses at the burning bush certainly had some questions. He asks no questions about the judgment, uh, the building of the ark, uh, what was an ark. You know, just the fact that Noah, we don't have him saying, because there are times where Moses is pleading for the people. Because God is saying, I'm going to destroy them. And, God, and Moses says, no, let's not. Let's talk about this. There's times where Moses says, destroy them. And God says, no, let's not. And you, you go, man, it was a good thing that God and Moses, you know, it's sometimes his parents, Carol and I would say, it's, it's important for parents to be, if one is having a bad day, the other one has a, a decent day. So they can kind of counterbalance that. Uh, and kind of, it looks like God is doing that with the nation of Israel because one day Noah wants fire and brimstone to come down on people. He's so fed up with them. And then God wants to destroy them and Moses pleads for them, you know. And, but there's none of that here with Noah. There's none of that. There's none of, God, what are you doing, you know? He makes no plea for mercy for anyone. He expresses no gratitude. He comes out and he makes an offering to God, but he, there's no words of gratitude. He just says he made an offering. He offers no prayers or, or, or words of thanksgiving as he makes offering to God, exiting the ark. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't do it, but what, we're, what we know is there's nothing recorded in the Scripture that he did. Which I think is strange. And the only conclusion I can come to is this story, that God is the focus of this story and our story, not Noah. God is the focus. He's the main deal. That we're, we're to walk away and say, not what a great man Noah was. We're saying, why did God even show mercy on Noah? Why would God even show mercy on me? Why? Here's the fourth thing. We need to learn what Moses or what Noah knew. And, and, and the first thing that Noah knew was judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. That God warned, warned Noah and Noah responded with faith. And his faith didn't just save himself, it saved his family. Now, I want you as a parent to think about that, as a, as a father, as a mother, that realize that your faith isn't just about you. It's about your kids. And it's possibly about your grandkids. That your faith is having an effect on your kids. And Noah's faith, saved his kids 
three sons. They were all three of them were married and they were saved through the flood because of Noah's faith. It, it's interesting to me. It doesn't say anything about they had faith, too. We know the names of the boys. Don't know the names of the wives at that point. But essentially what we do know is Noah's faith saved his family. And I just want to say to you, one of the things that I've seen as a pastor through the years is I've seen the faith of a father turn the, turn the whole family. And it's an amazing thing to see. Sometimes the father is, is in the middle of his life and he comes to Christ and, and his faith changes the, the course direction of the whole family. It's an amazing thing to watch when that happens. So I want to challenge you. Uh, so Noah was, saw that God was gracious to him. Uh, and he warned him. And in a, in a similar way, God has warned us. And he said, judgment is coming. And he wants us to warn others that judgment is coming. That, that we're to be heralding the good news that Jesus has come to set us free from sin, but also to say judgment is coming. And Second Peter chapter 3 says this, The Lord isn't really being slow about His promise, as some think. No, He is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Then the heavens will pass away, with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. That's exactly the situation that Noah found himself. God said, there's nothing to redeem here, so I'm going to wipe it all out. See, God does not desire to scare us using threats of judgment. But he wants to win us with his acts of love, mercy, and grace. And his grace is the most striking uh, evidence when, when set in contrast to the darkness and gloom that humanity is racing towards. That God is saying, I want you to be the ones to warn this perverse generation that judgment is coming. Because... This community and, and this, this world that we live in today is, is going, listen, nothing go, wrong with going to weddings and parties and gatherings and enjoying life. That's not what we're saying. But, but it, it, it's another thing to say, but judgment will never come. And, and essentially, that's what the people were saying in the days of Noah and what Jesus said in the last days. That's what people will be saying. We live in a world today, folks, where if judgment were to come, people would be shocked. See, God is looking for our repentance. and He is patient. The question is, why hasn't, why hasn't Jesus returned yet? Because I believe God is graciously withholding judgment, waiting on mankind, allowing for t- a time for repentance. And the way that the gospel gets out is through us. We are responsible to bring the gospel to, to all people. The people in Noah's day probably thought that he was crazy, that he was a fanatic. 
Uh, they couldn't even imagine a destructive love. In a similar way, people today are looking at faithful followers of Jesus and think they're a little crazy. They're too devoted. They're too moral. And, and they might say something like, uh, lighten up and live. They can't conceive of a day of judgment. I remember when I was in high school and I forgot about a big test. And I hadn't even cracked the book on it. I hadn't studied it. It was new material. And I remember walking into class and people were busily trying to get their last minute of studying. You ever have one of those days where you sit down and you realize, "Uh uh-oh. And it was a pretty important test. And I sat down. I remember sitting down. And I remember that sinking feeling when the test was set before me and I looked at the questions, I said, I'm dead. I have no chance of passing this test. I have no, I have no, I have no chance. And, and I got the test back a few days later and proved it. Failed it totally. Completely. I walked into that class and I said, I'm dead. I am absolutely dead. I have no chance. There, there's, no, there's no reason for me to even crack the chapter open. I've got a minute. I have no time. I think that's what many people are doing today with their eternity. And I think one day, like the flood, Jesus is going to come back and judgment is going to take place. And in the same way that I sat there and I felt totally destroyed and unable to even make any kind of plea, they will stand before God and they will have no ground to stand on. See, the problem was when you get to the test, if you're not ready for it, you've already failed it. And I walked in and you could have given me a zero because I had already failed the test. The Bible says today is the day to repent. Today is the day to build your ark. Jesus has become the ark of our salvation for everyone who enter the one door. The ark is interesting because it only had one door. And I think part of that reason was it was meant to be really watertight. You weren't going in and out of it. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. I'm the door. Jesus says one time, I am the door. The ark is a symbol of Jesus Christ. In, 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 in that day when the clouds of judgment uh, were g- gathering, um, Noah basically entered into the ark. He took refuge into the ark. And we, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we take our refuge under the cross we say, under the cross, I'm safe. So the question I want to ask you is this, are you in? There may have been people around the ark. There may have been people who were aware of the ark. But the only people who were saved were the ones who were in the ark. And there are people today who know about Jesus. They know about the church. They've been to church. But they've never really called upon the Lord. They've never said, Jesus, you're my only hope. Without you, I'm going to fail this test. I'm, de- I'm dead. I, I, I don't have a chance. The question I'm asking you is, are you ready for Judgment Day? Are you in? If you're not, you're under the storm of God's judgment, and His judgment is coming. 
Jesus became our ark. He saves us from the coming judgment. We don't deserve it. and We don't earn it. We merely enter the ark through the door of faith. And that's exactly what Noah did. Noah believed God and entered in and was saved because he believed God. Here's the point. Judgment is coming and every one of us needs an ark. We all need salvation. We need Jesus. What we learn from Noah is that people of faith are prepared for the coming storm of judgment. Are you in? Are you ready? Are you prepared for judgment? Because judgment is coming. Noah teaches us this weekend that people of faith obey God and put themselves under the cross of Jesus Christ for their salvation. Have you done that? If you haven't, when judgment comes, you will be dead. You will have no chance. Don't leave this place without today saying, Jesus, if I haven't called upon you, I want to. Stand with me. Let's pray as I lead us in prayer. Dear Father, thank you for Jesus and thank you for the lessons from Noah tonight. Thank you that beneath the cross, if we put ourselves under the cross and under the blood of Christ, under his sacrifice, he becomes the door, the way to you, the way of forgiveness, the only way of forgiveness. If there's anyone here this weekend, Father, who has never called upon the Lord, may today be the day that they say, Jesus, I'm dead. I'm a sinner. I am corrupt. I am unable to save myself. And unless you come into my life and save me, I have no chance. I confess my sin to you and I give my life to you. You gave your life to me and now I give my life to you. And I want to enter into the ark of your salvation. I trust you and I want to walk with you so that when the day of judgment comes, I will be saved. Thank you, Jesus, for those who prayed a prayer like that. For the rest of us who maybe prayed that prayer a long time ago, we it may be that there's something that you're saying to us in our lives today. The Spirit of God is taking the message, and there's something in our lives that needs to straighten up, something that we need to start doing, something that we need to stop doing. Uh, an area that you're challenging us by faith to walk in, and we're not doing it. Help us to learn from uh, Noah. But most of all, Father, we look at the Noah story, and we see your grace that you saved some. Really, one man, because he trusted you. He put his trust in you. And thank you that when we put our trust in you, you save us. For that, we are so grateful and so thankful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.